This is Grown Up With Kids, the parenting and marriage podcast that gives a weekly dose of encouragement, wisdom, and humor for people trying their best to live, love, and laugh more with their families. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, this week we talk about the power of finding joy no matter our circumstances. Also, we slightly mislead our children and Rachel shoves a child down the river. Podcast. We're back. Hey, Rach. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I'm nope. Take that back. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhausted. Yeah. We had a weekend that was full of activity. Mm-hmm. I uh, I think it was great. We had a family sleepover on Friday night, which was super fun. What is family sleepover? So I think we may have talked about it before, but Probably. we have a family sleepover where we like play laser tag as a family, and we play hide and seek as a family. We eat pizza as a family. We eat candy as a family. I don't know if you're getting the trend, but we set up an air mattress in our bedroom and any of the children who'd like to spend the night in our room can. Yeah. And it's super fun. The bed is full of candy and popcorn by the end of it and it's great. And we watch a movie, but we watch the movie in our room, so we're kind of all snuggling either on our right. bed or that air mattress, which is kind of just a fun, different place to watch a movie. Yeah. It's not more comfortable, but it is fun. And it's really like when I pull back, I'm like, oh, this isn't really that exciting, but for some reason, they totally love it. And I love it too, but it does mean that we go to bed really late, and we have children in our room climbing all over us and all kinds of things. So we yeah. did that, and then the next day, we went on a tubing trip as a family. Which was super fun, and we thought we were going on the three-hour tour, uh, which ended up being five and a half hours long for our family. We're apparently slow tubers. <laughs> apparently. I didn't know that was a thing. The funny thing is that we got on the bus at the end, and the guy was like, guess what time it is? And we all were like, oh, I don't know, 6.30, 6, It was 7.40. 7.40. So we had no concept of time, which probably was the best thing for our family. It was. I told someone today that it took us five and a half hours to do a three-hour trip, and, and they were like, was the river low? And I was like, I don't think <laughs> no. that's the problem. No. I think it was user <laughs> error. <laughs> I think so, too. You know what really is the trouble is that there were a few rapids. Well, okay, so our kids jumped on and off the tubes over and over, which meant that our bodies were, like, super sore the next day, even that night. We lost a shoe. We lost three shoes. Yeah, and I had to walk back, what would you say, like 30 to 40 yards yes. upstream in the river. <laughs> With and, no water shoes on because they were gone. Yeah, it was really, like, rocky and perilous. Is that the yeah. right word? Dangerous. Peligroso um, yes. in Espanol. yes. And uh, that, I don't know, we didn't have a watch or a phone on us, but that probably ate up like 45 minutes, just like trying yeah. to go find that shoe. Easily. And you had an issue because we brought a, a cooler, a waterproof cooler, which was a great idea, super fun. But like, that took you like an extra 20 minutes to get started because you got like <laughs> trapped somewhere. Yeah. And by the way, the waterproof cooler would have been great if I would have had waterproof Tupperwares inside the cooler because the ice melted and went into the sandwiches and made grossness. Yeah. So our kids so, had breakfast, a healthy breakfast, and then they had dinner at like 830 because that was when we were back <laughs> in our car. And in between, they ate like six Oreos and two cans of 7-Up. <laughs> 
and you and I had maybe five Oreos and four cans of beer. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was a great day. It, it was. It, was, it wonderful. was super fun. The hardest part, I think, um, which may lead into our topic today, was um, I was with our youngest, and we were going down a relatively slow river, but then we hit some pretty quick um, rapids, shall we call them? Rapids. Um, what else would we call them? Well, I don't know. It, like, it feels like rapids should be in, like, the Colorado rivers, not the Georgia rivers. But I guess they're, like, they're the same. If it tilts down, it's going to be rapid. So, anyway, so we hit these rapids. <laughs> this and river tilts down. <laughs> this river is tilty. So, we hit these rapids. And I was like, hey, no big deal. I will hang on to you. And he kind of was, like, game. He was ready to go. So, we go down and we just flip um, over and like I bumped my head and I'm like shoving him above the water. It was scary. I'm not going to lie. Water terrifies me in general. Yeah. So we recovered and he was a little bit shaken up, but I thought no big deal. I'm sure that the rest is going to be smooth sailing. So we keep going and we come to another set of rapids and, um, how'd that go, Rach? He didn't go. Like he refused to go. He got up, climbed like up on top of a rock with his tube and examined the entire area all the way around and then came back and I was like, there is no other way. And he was like, just go without me. And I was like, I was like, you're young. No. And he's like, mom, you'll be safe. I promise. Just go without me. And I was like, what are you going to do, buddy? And he was like, I'll just wait for someone to save my life. And I was like, I'm pretty much all you got right now to save your life. It's 7.45, unbeknownst <laughs> to us. No one else is coming down this river. Exactly, and I'm starving, and you're starving, and we're a little dehydrated. And so. and you are literally 50 yards from the finish line. Yep. Because I can see you, me and the other boys are yeah, done. Yeah, so you start wondering. And I'm sort of like looking at you like, <laughs> what are you doing? Because in my head I'm thinking, you just need to push him. And I'm like, looking back at you. I'm looking gently. back at you like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. My hands are raised. I like, know that feeling. I'm at a loss. With all of our kids at different points. So it's like, you can't reason with them. Yep. And they're, they're not hungry. being totally rational. They're hungry. Yeah, they're, they're tired. Like, they're there's hangry. no way. So... You just spilled your drink. That's okay. We can keep going. I'll keep telling my story. So we end up like where I pull the little guy down and I'm like, just sit in your tube. Trust me. It's going to be okay. And he's like, okay, you have to tell me if something's going to happen. You have to tell me. And I was like, yeah, no big deal. I didn't technically lie to him. However. (laughs) Really? Really, Rachel? So I did get him to sit in his tube, and then I said, all right, here's what's going to happen. Dad's down there, and I'm going to push you. And as I said, push you, I pushed him, and he was on his blessed way. And he totally was fine. He didn't capsize. Nothing happened. He was totally fine, courageous. He was pissed, but he was fine. I was amazed that he wasn't more upset, actually. Yeah. Not- yeah, just given hungry, tired, and you maybe misled him slightly. <laughs> I did not lie to him, but I maybe misled, <laughs> misled him, him slightly. Slightly, but it yeah. was good for him. I mean, it's good to do hard things, right? It's really good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you want to hear uh, my hard thing of the day? Yeah. Not nearly as hard or as exciting. <laughs> my hard thing of the day was trying to get the stain off our couch from a asparagus spear tip. 
that I found rubbed into the couch. Gross. Why is the asparagus <laughs> tip in the couch sometimes, in the first place? Sometimes when we have dinner watching a show together, I feel like like I'm unsure how food ends up in the places it ends up. Like I'm not sure why we can't just sit still and eat our food, but apparently we can't. Yeah. I mean, you and I are not the problem most of the time. Uh, was it your you, asparagus tip? You aren't the problem. <laughs> no, it was not. It was in a spot where our kids were sitting, which we've just, uh, you know, shown ourselves out by the fact that we sat on the couch and watched TV while we ate dinner tonight. And last night? I can't remember, but sure, probably. Yeah. This COVID thing. It's It's killer. hard to do family it's dinner. Killer. I'm so tired by 6.30, 6 o'clock. <laughs> totally. All right, so let's talk about something fun. Yeah, graphs and charts. I do have a graph and a chart when we get to the start of the week. I knew you It's would. actually an infographic Ooh. that I found um, and which we'll share. But before we get to that, so I came across a TED Talk. Um, I'm sort of on a TED Talk kick right um, now. Yeah. While I run, I listen to maybe like one. And this one was particularly funny uh, and engaging. And it was by Sean... I want to say Archer is how you pronounce Hannity. his last name. No. <laughs> <laughs> Any other Sean's? Mendez. Seriously, Mendez. Mendez. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Sean Mendez. No. I think it's Sean Archer. Okay. Um, and he is the CEO of some organization that he's a psychologist that does like study of happiness and mindset. He's wicked funny. Wicked. How do you get there from here? <laughs> he's wicked funny. He's wicked funny. So anyway... Essentially, the premise was that our circumstances don't determine our happiness, our mindset does, and that when we have a joyful, happy mindset, we actually do better work, we're more productive. He threw out a bunch of stats, like doctors kill us people, I don't know, you know, all this stuff about like when we're less stressed, we actually do better work. Eh. (laughs) So anyway, it made me think about our circumstances and this idea of happiness and joy, which seems apropos given that... Most of us are in really less than ideal, subpar, maybe uh-huh, you'd call it, you uh-huh. circumstances right now. And, uh, and we have been for a while, and we might be for a little while. Um, and so I think it's just, it struck me as encouraging to me that I could f- seek out and um, engage in some practices that could help me feel more happiness and more joy. And it was encouraging and challenging to me to remember that I should teach our kids how to engage those practices in a way to experience more joy and happiness. Not to avoid suffering or discomfort, but actually to find joy and happiness regardless of their circumstances. Yeah, it's almost like the story about shoving our kid down the rapids makes sense. (laughs) Eh, well. (laughs) Well, I mean, in all honesty, like... I do think that when kids are pushed into some sort of suffering or hard things, we don't want our kids to suffer in, like, let's let's first of all define suffering. Suffering in sort of a modern American culture or a modern westernized culture or whatever is defined as, gosh, I missed lunch today. You know, like... This is not yeah. third world. Or I can't go to the movies. Or suffering. here's an example. We went to car church this past weekend. Yep. 
um, because we just wanted, it's not our church, but we wanted to go and actually be with other humans instead of doing it virtually. Yeah. And it was actually really refreshing. But it was hot. Yep. And our kids were like whiny. And for the first 20 or 30 minutes when they were doing the singing, I wouldn't leave the air running. I turned off the car. And at one point, I caught myself saying to one of the kids, I was like, this is not suffering. Like, Except it's 89 degrees out. <laughs> Just get out of the car and deal with a little bit of sun. And full disclosure, I did feel uncomfortable and like I was sort of suffering as the mother. But then I caught myself and I was like, no, no, no. Let's get perspective. This is not that bad. No. And when the sermon came on, came on, when he started preaching, we did turn on the air and it was yeah. very nice. And I understand why people like air conditioning. <laughs> I love it. So I realize I'm not the toughest man alive, but I do want to teach our kids a little bit of like, hey, you can just get out of the car and stand in the sun for 20 minutes. It's not going to kill you. Yeah. You're going to be okay in the grand scheme of things. Like, I think that that's part of teaching them like... The world is far bigger than this. There are people who are experiencing much more delight and pleasure than you, and there are people experiencing a lot worse and a lot of suffering compared to what you're experiencing. And your job is to not try to shove out the suffering and get to the highest point. Your job is to engage with the suffering. Yeah, and sometimes to sit in it and to find joy and happiness there. Right. And I think you... you made some good points that I just want to be really clear. So one is in no way am I trying to belittle or minimize real suffering. Like I think all of us go through real suffering. We experience death uh, with loved ones. We sickness, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic. People are close to people who are ill um, or who have passed away. Like you can have suffering in normal times. Like this is not to be pithy about suffering and say, Part of the point is to say, like, we all experience real suffering, mm-hmm. and then we also experience things that we think are unbearable, but really are kind of minor inconveniences, and our modern culture is so convenient in so many ways. Yeah. And so with our children, they will see minor in, in, uh, inconveniences as this deep, real suffering, unless we help them kind of navigate through that and realize, like, hey, this is a normal part of life. And also really bad suffering is a part of life. We're not going to thrust that upon you when you're not able to handle it, but we're going to slowly kind of get you prepared so that you have some resiliency later in life when you have to face those things. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. And I think that suffering is interesting, and we can cut this later if it doesn't make sense, if this bunny trail doesn't, but I just think of um, right now my current suffering is that our kids are home all day, Um, And we both have things to get done, as all parents do, that we're used to having um, more of a schedule and an ability to have some freedom and some autonomy and some um, quiet, Mm -hmm. like a minute of quiet. So in my mind, like, that is inconvenient um, if I pull back and get some perspective. But in some ways, I do feel like Um, It's important to let my kids know, like, this is hard, you know, like, I don't need to gloss over it because it's not classified as third world suffering. I need to engage with it and say, I'm having a hard time because it's never quiet in my house. And that's okay. I'm not blaming anyone. But this is my form of suffering. And I think that um, I think it becomes like weird suffering or like when we misplace it and we say, like, okay, I've not, I haven't had a moment of quiet for six months, and I, this is suffering. Like, this is awful. 
rather than saying, okay, I'm pulling back and saying this is hard, like giving it its appropriate weight right. is important to do within ourselves, but also important for our kids to see us do so that they can start to weight their various experiences right. and they can understand, oh, this is really hard and I do feel like this is real suffering or this is not that bad, but I do feel a little bit sad about this. Yeah. So they start understanding a gauge rather than saying, okay, it's either third world suffering or you have life like sunshine and roses all the time. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. People, we need to balance um, or, or understand the balance between what is like severe suffering, what is inconvenience, what is hurt. But we need to balance the um, not denying like, oh, this is a minor inconvenience. I'm just going to shut it out or say that these emotions don't matter. I think that's especially true when you're parenting young kids. Like on some level, many young moms like – are in what might be considered like privileged positions to be at home with their kids, you know, having a, a decent salary or whatever, either with them and their spouse or from their spouse. And, uh, you know, but it still stinks. Like it's mm -hmm. still hard. Like you're still not sleeping. It's still very lonely. And so to deny those things or say, Oh, I should just be grateful. That's not what we're talking about here. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we need to engage with our emotions and say, this is hard. This is hard these circumstances are difficult and engage with those and help our kids as they grow up to do the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we can kind of live in a world where we can recognize that other people have it more difficult than us. Like we're obviously in a time in our country where there's a lot of uh, racial re reckoning and thinking through like systems of oppression and systems that are unfair. And I think that's a really important process to go through. And so uh, as someone who is not, um, generally uh, subdued by those systems, who's generally privileged by those systems, mm -hmm. I can still have real feelings of negativity and sadness and brokenness in my life, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe even a system that works against me here and there, and also recognize and have empathy and compassion for other people who might be going through something different than me. I think sometimes we come down the line where it's like we either deny that we have anything negative because we feel badly um, that we don't, you know, that someone else has it worse than us, or we go the other way and try to deny that anyone else has it worse than us to sort of just like get rid of the cognitive dissonance and be like, no, we're all going through the same struggle. It's hard for all of us. Stop complaining. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. And I think we're actually trying to teach our kids compassion for themselves, compassion for others, empathy for others, and, a, and an ability to understand their feelings and self-regulate. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's the... I think that's the key. We've talked about modeling behavior before, and I do think it's important to let those um, internal thoughts as parents come out with our kids. Like, like I said before, like letting them know, you know, I just feel sad about this, or I'm really disappointed, or I'm frustrated with this. And I know, on the grand, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. um, but man, mom just feels really sad about this. Um, yeah. That teaches them. That teaches them a tremendous amount. I absolutely agree. I read somewhere when someone was encouraging parents to let their kids see their pain. Um, and again, in a really age-appropriate way, not having them carry you um, in a way that's inappropriate, but to just say, like, hey, this is hard for me, um, and this is how I'm going to, you know, your dad and I are talking about this or working on this. I think, like, in general... 
I am really slow to share what's going on in my life with our kids, like in a sort of intimate way, again, Mm -hmm. appropriately intimate, but to be like, hey, I'm really worried about X, or I am really excited about Y, Mm -hmm. or your mom and I, you know, are really struggling with dealing with this question or this issue um, in a way that helps our kids come along and see us process feelings. Again, Mm -hmm. doesn't put the weight or responsibility on them in any way because that's not appropriate. Um, They shouldn't have to carry us emotionally or any other way. But uh, uh, invites them in to see how that works and how we appropriately and kind of maturely deal with those things, right? Yeah, and you you mentioned sort of in passing that it's inappropriate to – force our kids to carry us emotionally. But I do think there is room at some point in their lives for them to empathize with us and to hold our hand and say, it's okay. Even our youngest right now, sometimes I will express sadness and he'll put his hand on my cheek and say, it's going to be okay. Mm. Like that's a really good practice. And it's not, it's not um, that he assumes the burden that I'm carrying, but it's, him saying, I see you, and I know you, and that's what we really want in our kids. Like, that's the long-term vision is that we want them to get to a place where they can say, I don't take ownership of how other people are feeling. That's not actually what empathy is, but, man, I can relate, and I see you, and I'm with you. And I can be sad with you, alongside you. Yes, and even if um, they don't fully understand what the sadness is about with their friend or, um, with a coworker for, for them to have ability to say, I'm sad with you is pretty significant. And I think it does engage their hearts in, um, sorrow, which means that the flip side of that is that they actually experience joy, not mm-hmm. just happiness, but actual joy. Yeah. So I want to talk about circumstances, which we threw out in the beginning, but there's some research um, by uh, a professor and author, Sonia Leobomirsky. I'm sure I'm butchering that. Shoot. And she's written... (laughs) We're sorry, Sonia. The book, The How of Happiness, and then another book, uh, which is The Myths of Happiness. Full disclosure, I haven't read either of those, but I did like do some reading on her and some of the findings in there. One of the things that her studying has found is that about 10% of the differential in people's happiness is determined by their circumstances. Only 10%. Only 10%. About half of it is genetics, and the way they kind of measured that is they did a lot of studying of both identical twins and what's the other one, fraternal twins, Mm -hmm. and twins who grew up together and those who were separated at birth so they could kind of isolate what is environment versus what is genetics. So essentially about half of how we process things or deal with happiness or see the world is baked in when we're born. 10% Mm -hmm. of it is our current circumstances. So it's the other 40. It's essentially our internal state of mind. Like that's the part we can control. I mean, we can control some of our circumstances, uh, but really ultimately it's our state of mind. And so both she and in that TED Talk that we referenced earlier, uh, they both talk about this idea of when we sort of see the world um, through kind of positive lenses, uh, it leads to happiness and joy versus seeing the world through kind of a negative lens and a stressful lens leads uh, to negativity. Um, And I think that this, you know, again, we all deal with different types of circumstances and some of them are bigger and given moments than others. And so it's not just a, I can 
again, pull myself up by my bootstraps and solve all these problems. But it does give me a sense of freedom and power to say, in this moment, I can choose how to respond. Mm -hmm. In this moment, I can choose gratitude or I can choose to complain, right? Mm -hmm. In this moment, I can choose to see what's beautiful or what's, you know, ugly in the moment, right? And um, I think everywhere there is beauty and there is ugliness. Like that is kind of the nature of the world and we kind of get to put on the types of glasses we want and maybe we don't want rose tinted glasses. Is that the saying? Where everything's like perfect because that's lying to ourselves, but it's having an honest view of what is really good around us. And so both of them recommend some practices and some of these overlap and some of them are unique to each of them that I think are worth me practicing more and worth teaching our kids to practice. So one of those is gratitude. Um, So like taking time and actually intentionally, not just being like, yeah, I'm so grateful, blah, 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 you know, and like fluttering away or being like, hey, Rach, I'm thankful for you. Um, But like you, Rach. for you. But like you caught me, I was trying to practice this this week and I was journaling and just literally it was just bullet points of like, I'm thankful for this and taking the time to actually write out specific things and specific things about you in particular that I was grateful for. Um, and it was helpful. Uh, not that we weren't, we were in a really good place. So it wasn't like I had to like sort of change my attitude towards you, but it helped refine and helped me remember even more. So what I like and love about you. Hmm. Um, and so I'm trying to do more of that. Uh, it's also been helpful this week as I've been practicing that to remember some of the things about my work that I really like and I'm really grateful for, mm-hmm. even amidst some of the stress or self-doubt that I might have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that self-doubt one is a good one. Like she talks about the idea of engaging in positive self-thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard other people talk about this. And again, I don't think this is just lying to ourselves, It's but having honest assessments about like, this is who I am. This is what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why I'm valuable. Um, just inherently to people. This is what I have to offer. And so teaching our kids, I think, by telling them what they're good at and who they are and some of the characteristics that we love about them and the characteristics we're thankful for them helps them identify what they're good at. And doing that in a way that, again, is not just like creating self-important brats where they think everything they do is great and their Mm -hmm. poop doesn't smell, but (laughs) like having some realistic like, hey, we discipline you when you make mistakes. We help you get better at the things you're not good at. But I just want you to know that these parts of you are good. Like Mm -hmm. I see this in you. I see your curiosity. I see you you were talking about one of our sons, like his empathy and his ability to care for other people who feel badly in the moment and really love them. Uh, You know, one of our other kids just has a tense creativity um, and ideas around like building things and engineering things and thinking through things and like saying those things out loud and not just amongst you and me or our friends and be like, oh, our son did this. Right. But being like, hey, I want you to know that I see this in you and mm-hmm. I think that is unique and beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a really important word to, I guess to summarize like what's going through my head is teaching our kids how to have a really honest perspective of themselves. Um, I think that comes through introspection. I think sometimes introspection can lead to pressure, like needing to achieve some sort of idyllic lifestyle. Uh Um, Like I, I would be remiss to say that it's important for our kids actually to have a relationship with a higher being. We believe in God and some people believe in Oprah. <laughs> That's okay, too. <laughs> um, but, but with that belief does come 
a really honest perspective or like a, um, I think the Lord requests an honest perspective about what our sin is and, and who we really are. And I think that keeps it in perspective and it helps us to wait what is true about ourselves and what is not true about ourselves, what is true about our situation, what is not true, but it, it kind of starts helping us ga- gauge where things land in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, like I think the internal work is extraordinarily important, especially on the parental end where we are having a really honest perspective of ourselves and yeah. coming to the table saying, I suck at this, but I think I'm really good at this. Um, it, it demonstrates really this beautiful, raw humility for our kids. And I think that that actually does spur happiness. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. Having a right sense of yourself um, is like true humility. It's not having a low sense of yourself. It's knowing what you're actually good at and what you're not. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that one of the greatest pleasures in parenthood is when our kids say out loud, oh, I'm really good at that. Like this self-discovery, this innocent like, oh, I'm a really good ball kicker you know like where you can say yeah you really are yeah it's also really a delight for them to say out loud oh i'm i really failed you know (laughs) like i really stink at that and you can say with them yeah you really do like that helps them start to see let me tell you something i stink at yeah like (laughs) let me share with you the highs and lows of life and they they can experience suffering and um, disappointment in a really safe place so that they can ex- actually start to experience real joy yeah. rather than hanging it up on their circumstances and driving them to kingdom come so that they can experience happiness. Yeah. A few other things I want to just close with, if that's yeah. okay. Great. So one is savoring positive experiences. Um, so we go tubing, have a great time like taking some time to like debrief that together or to talk with our kids about what did you like the most? And, oh, you know, you can talk about some of the parts that were hard, like the getting lied to by your mom. and (laughs) (laughs) Shove down the rapids. Shove down the rapids. But also, like, what was the part that was really fun? And how did you overcome those trials? And just, like, really sitting in that. And I think that's something that we could do more of. Like, it's always next thing, next thing, next thing. Or go distract yourself, do, do whatever. But just taking a step back and be like, oh, that trip was really fun. Some of my favorite conversations with our kids is when somehow it starts coming up a vacation we took two or three years ago. And they're like, oh, remember we did this? Or remember we went to one Airbnb and, and they had they baked not, bread? They don't, they, do they not bring up the dumbest things? Like the oh, things yeah. that were like we spent no time on and it just happened to be there. Yeah. Like the bread. We, had, we went to an Airbnb where there was homemade bread in the freezer, like 10 loaves. And we ate like nine of them because they were... <laughs> Delicious. I think we were supposed to eat one, but I you know, so whatever. <laughs> we're bad guests, but <laughs> we ate this bread. It was delicious. And two years later, that's what they bring up. Yeah. And then the last thing is small acts of kindness. So in this uh, TED talk, he talks about some thing at, with uh, companies where he has the, all the employees like first thing every morning is send an email to someone they work with just saying something like nice and honest about the work they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that actually improves our mood and gives us more satisfaction and more of a sense of connection mm-hmm. by being the one who does the kindness. And I think I've seen that in myself the few times I've actually randomly been kind. You've actually been kind. I mean, it pops out every once I'm well. here to attest that it's only been five. It's fine. <laughs> That's one every three years, right? <laughs> 
Um, I want to do more of that, and I want to teach our kids what, like, what are small ways to show kindness to their brothers or their friends or to their mom that don't have to be like big things or have to be built around birthdays or what have you. Yeah, I think at the end of my life and the end of their lives, if if we as a family say we lived intentionally, that mm-hmm. is satisfying. You know, intentionally kind intentionally engaging with good and bad feelings and living right smack in the middle of them, unsure of what is coming next. Um, that is a sign of a, a life well lived, in my opinion. Agreed. And I think that's a great place to stop. Good. Wrap it up. Let's do it. Let's go to the stat of the week. Stat of the week. All right, Rach. You tricked me. Right, Rach. Rach. Hey, Dave. So we've been talking about circumstances and joy and happiness. And I told you at the beginning, and unlike some people, I don't lie. (laughs) I only lie to my children. It's fine. Uh, I don't lie. I just, (laughs) I was trying to encourage him to go down. And truthfully, there was no other way we were going to get down. Oh, I have misled our kids. A hundred times for that sort of thing. I'm not saying that's the oh, right that's thing. Good. I'm just it's just an omission. <laughs> it's just like this is a safe space, right? No one's gonna know about it. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times I've been for our listeners, cool. The amount of times our kids were like learning to swim, and I was like, no, I'm not gonna move further from the wall. And then the moment they jump in and can't see me, I move like three steps back <laughs> so that they have to paddle more. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, so I understand. And I probably would have thrown him over the rapids at the point. I was so tired. Yeah, right. I was. So you did better tired. than I did. <laughs> All right, infographic called "The Science Behind a Happy Relationship" uh-huh. from Happify. I don't know what Happify is, but it's their Sounds tagline cool. is "Science-based based activities and games for a happier, healthier life." At Happify.com. I like it. Not a sponsor, but you know. Free plug. So- sounds like fun stuff. Woo-hoo. All right, I got a couple questions for you based off this infographic. Okay. My first How question. How happy are you? Mm. No, 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 no. I know I'm you're very kidding. happy with me. <laughs> All the time. That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> so this is the happy couple ratio. So how many positive interactions for every negative one do you think happy couples have? How many positive interactions for every negative? I would say it's a one positive for every four negative. That would be miserable. Do you have four negative experiences for every positive experience I give you? Are we being truthful? <laughs> or should I throw you over the rapids and not tell you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you should be truthful. Because we should be doing well, a different okay. podcast, not about marriage and parenting, apparently. <laughs> very happy with you I the the way I came up with that is that like for every four negative things someone says to you you have to hear one positive thing I believe that's the statistic no it's the other way around it's like eight positive things to interact one negative thing and this one one is five happy or positive interactions for every one negative one is what happy couples say they have five positives for every one negative yeah if you're in a marriage and you have four negatives for every positive it's a bad time. You needed to go see counselor <laughs> right a, away. It's a tough go. That's a tough time. Okay, so. So even in, they measured unhappy, uh, oh no, sorry, couples who ultimately divorced, it's less than one to one, but it's not 0.2 to one. 
What do you think the ratio so is four times over of right happy now. to negative interactions for those couples who ultimately get di- got divorced was? It's a decimal. What is the question? <laughs> <laughs> it is too late, and that question is too dumb. It's 0.8. So essentially, what does that mean? less than one positive interaction for every negative interaction. So what does that mean? It means you have eight negative or eight positive interactions for every ten negative interactions. It's the opposite of the five to one. Five to one's good. Eight to ten is bad. Why are you looking at me like I'm the idiot? Because I'm so tired. I mean, I am an idiot, but I feel like I got this one. All right, one more quick question for you, Uh, or maybe. God, I look stupid on this stat of the week. That's all right. There are a few. I know. There are a handful of stupid moments that I have in the stat of the week. Ratios are not your, your strong suit. Oh, my gosh. No. You have a lot of strong suits, but that's not one of them. Appreciate it. Thanks. So There's a positive. I'm just going to tell you this right one. There. Happy. Yeah. Now, four <laughs> more, and I get to be mean to you <laughs> just on purpose. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Uh, so happy couples talk more. People in the most successful marriages spend five more hours a week being together and talking. I don't know what. What does that mean? I mean, like being together, right? Like so. Five hours spending time together and talking more than unhappy couples do. Interesting. So it's like almost an hour a day more, actually just hanging out and talking and enjoying each other. Makes sense. Yeah, that does I mean, make sense. And you can cram it all in one if we, you go on a date a week. A five-hour date? Yeah. I don't think that's the way to do it. I think you should disperse it. Like when if we. If you're going tubing, it's five hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We did not talk very much because we were all looking for shoes. And And Oreos. We just wanted to eat something. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Now, this one you'll never get because it's multiple choice. It's not even multiple choice. It's just like you got to select something. Hold on. I want to rewind just for a second. (laughs) Um, So five hours extra. I'm just trying to think practically what that would mean for our family. Like, does that mean that we, at the end of the day, we sit down and talk instead of watch a show i mean i've been trying to say three times i've been trying to (laughs) say that (laughs) and you've interrupted me so that's three negatives to one positive on this (laughs) stat of the week for you we're going south what i was gonna say is that it's this is about couples it's not about families when you and i sit on our porch at the end of the day even if it's for like 45 minutes i feel like we sleep better full disclosure we end up having sex more often like we feel closer to each other yeah, that totally. night and the next morning, um, whether we have sex or not. So I think that's what it's saying. Like 45 minutes a day, seven days a week, if you just spent the last 45 minutes of your day just hanging out, having decaf coffee or a nightcap or whatever, yeah, seltzer, milk, whatever you want. Um, and <laughs> Warm then, milk? I didn't say warm. It could be cold milk, ice cold milk. <laughs> if our fridge worked, we'd have cold milk. Oh, my gosh. All right. Anyway, I think that's a good... Yeah, that's Look, helpful. this is fun and educational all of a sudden. It it's is. fun well, educational. I was just curious like, how the stat of the week actually applies, like what we can do to say where are we going to find five more hours a week to be together. If that increases our happiness, I want to do that. Start with 30 minutes at the end of the day. Yeah. Last 30 minutes of the day, just talk and hang out and debrief yes. the day. And that gets you to three and a half hours. That's not bad. I but mean, If you want to know bad. how I got to that, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Seven days math. times 30 minutes. <laughs> Stop. As long as it's not a ratio, I can understand it. Eight to ten. <laughs> All right, last one. What's the number one factor in whether couples feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage? This is really hard to figure out, but the number one factor 
in whether couples feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage. And it has nothing to do with sex or... Talking. I think talking to each other, probably. The quality of their friendship. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so communicating is part of that. Um, Laughing together, probably, is part of that. Yeah. Uh, Like doing things that you enjoy together. Yeah. Yeah. Having close conversations where you're honest with each other. Sharing your suffering. Yeah. Hey, look at that. There you go. Full circle, Rach. Man. That's a good one. I like that stat of the week because I feel like I learned like how to apply some of that, how I can make my life better. I feel like you're subtwe- subtweeting my other 51 <laughs> stat of the weeks, <laughs> but they were not I, good enough. I like, your su- I like your other 51, but that one was especially interesting because I feel like it's very right. applicable. I'll try to do better. In the meantime. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you for working on the farm, Rachel. Hey, thank you for working on the farm, Smith. Check you.